morning. Exciting, huh? Can you bring the lights up just a little? There. Hey. Hey, everybody. I can see you now. I am Rick Ayers. I'm not Brad or Craig, who uh, Brad is somewhere between St. Louis and Washington, D.C. with Margie. And um, Craig is in Arizona conducting another wedding. So I think he's got a new ministry. Did one yesterday and he's doing his nieces today. So um, you got me. And Stephen didn't want Leviticus. Thank you for that. Stephen didn't want Leviticus. So they said a couple months ago, hey, Rick, we want you to preach for us. And I said, man, that's exciting. Um, do I get to talk about whatever I want to talk about like I normally do? And they said, no, Leviticus. Awesome. Wow. Have you ever heard a message on Leviticus? Anybody? I have not. Okay, I've only been a Christian 30 years, but I have not heard a message on Leviticus. So I decided we'd go through every ritual. Um, <laughs> Just for a couple minutes, especially the stuff, never mind. Um, so you're looking for a theme of the book, and as, as Jeff so eloquently, thank you for Angus Day. What do you think, guys? Thank you so much. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That really set the tone. Um, Katie, that was amazing. That was amazing. It really set the tone for me anyway. So we look at Leviticus, and, and as we know, Leviticus is a story, or, or the book of the Bible, of rituals, priesthoods, and purity and God sent his instructions through Moses to the Israelites and how they're supposed to live. But boy, if you read it, and how many of you have gotten into reading it? You guys still doing that? Good. What's wrong with the rest of you people? <laughs> um, when you read it, you look at it and you go, and Lori and I read it together, and we put it up on our Apple TV and we read it, and we just look at each other like, why? Why did God put this in the Bible? And it's really a, a, a book of, why and what and how. You agree? You sit there and you're going, who cares what color his breastplate was or the curtains? I mean, God was in such detail. And, and then I'm sure God had a lot of those stories, but why is it in Scripture? And, and you dig deeper and you go, why is it necessary to be included in the Bible? And then we, we understand a history lesson that I looked up. In historical context, we find that the gods, the false gods of the Egyptian rule, um, they were gods that did not need humans at all. That's what the Egyptians were taught. It was taught the Egyptian idol gods created humans as a slave force to care for the gods, to feed them, to clothe them, to build temples, to house them, and so on. The gods created a ritual system to keep the people in line and out of trouble, not thinking for themselves. They called this the great symbiosis of Egypt. Pretty impressive, huh? Right? My study? Is it great or what? Yeah, I didn't make that up. Somebody else wrote that. Now, the God of Israel, which is our God, of course, is different. He didn't need the sacrifices of the people. In his covenant to Abraham, he promised to provide for his people and take care of them. The God of Israel didn't care for, uh, didn't require care or food. He didn't desire shelter. He desired and still does covenant fidelity that's what God wants but why what did God want from his people well we find the answer in Exodus if we go back what did Moses say to Pharaoh what did God tell Moses to say to Pharaoh let hello let people go you know it's like Charlton Heston all over again let my people go I mean, Charlton Heston's famous for that. That and pry these out of my cold, dead hands, right? That was the, right? But he was famous for that. 
But you know, when we read scripture, we remember let my people go. We remember all those little things. But do you know what the next part of that verse is? So they may worship me. So they may serve me. God didn't just say let my people go so they're free. Are we free? Yeah, well, we're free to serve him. We're free to worship him. That's what he wanted for the Israelites. See, he's not in need, but he does desire to be worshipped. I shared with you uh, last year that his name is Jealous. Is that right? It's right there in Scripture. If you don't believe me, his name is Jealous. No other gods before him. So in Leviticus, we find God's instructions for ritual sacrifice and the obedience of the laws of purity. So much detail that we don't need to live by today. Well, why did he have so much purity for them? As Lori and I were reading, she was like, man, these Israelites aren't really smart. They was like, oh, no, we're going to die. Well, I got that for you. Oh, no, we're going to starve. No, I got that for you. Oh, no, we're going to, I got that for you. And, and Lori goes, well, were they stupid? They just kept going on and on and on, and just like us today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on his understanding, and he will make, oh, but God, I'm so worried. What? About what? And, and again, we look at why God put all these rituals in. And, and as the video said, God desires us to be holy. Holy is mentioned over a hundred times in the book of Leviticus. I counted them. What does it mean? We hear that God is holy. Today it's got a lot of definitions. It's religious, it's pious, it's above reproach, it's devout, it's godly, it's saint-like, it's sacred. We always throw those terms around. God in, in, in says in chapter 12, I am the Lord God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy. Why? Because I am holy. So what does consecrate mean? Be associated with the sacred. Be set apart. God wants us to be holy. Now how do we show that? In Leviticus, he gave explicit instructions to the Israelites. And it related to the tent of the meeting where God resided at that time. What they ate, who they slept with, boy, those were, I mean, I was talking to Tom Zimmerman earlier, I was like, he was really in detail of who you could sleep with and stay away from your, your sister-in-law and your aunt and all this other stuff, and I'm like, was this an issue? It obviously was, right? And he said they were worried about what they were supposed to sacrifice in a certain way. Send the scapegoat out. How many of you knew that's where the word term scapegoat came from? I did not. I do now. Thank you, Bible reader. Katie went to her early Sunday school class back in fourth grade, and they taught that, right? Scapegoat. Um, that's where it came from. See, did God accept less than 100% obedience? No. In chapter 10, boy, it explains about Aaron, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, his sons, Nadab and Abihu. You don't hear that a lot today, but Nadab and Abihu, they were ordained priests themselves. They offered unauthorized fire into the tent. Contrary to God's command, what did God do? They consumed them. He consumed them. Dude, come on. Hey, Lord, we got a little extra for you. Uh, you're gone. He consumed them. What did Aaron do? He must have freaked out, right? What did you do? Look at the next verse. What does it say? 
Aaron remained silent. Now, we could say Aaron was shocked, or Aaron was like, God means business, or I told him, God's not messing around. Because God used Moses to say to Aaron, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. But that's not what the two boys did. And we don't know totally all that story, but we have a just God. Oh, God, give him a break. We have a God of grace. Give him a break. He was pretty serious here, don't you think? He consumed them. Now, what does holy mean for us today? Does God still want us to be holy? No, man, we're under grace. We're under grace. We're good. But I would argue, yes, he wants us to be holy because he wants us to be set apart as Christians, followers of him, sanctified, consecrated, bumper sticker, not of this world. It's pretty tough when it's on a Bentley, though. <laughs> I'd like to have a Bentley and put one on just because just I'd like to have a Bentley. But we are to be holy because the Lord God is holy. We might understand the words, but the pursuit of holiness feels difficult in this already difficult world. Stephen, you said it in your announcements. This is a crazy place with Las Vegas and Hollywood, go figure. Um, all the other stuff, people kneeling and all that. I mean, it's like, come on, people. We're already saved by grace, right? Our lives are fine without trying to be perfect. Thus, what I titled this message, The Hole in Our Holiness. We must understand that Christ's death and resurrection didn't only save us from death due to our sin, but his resurrection also broke the power of sin over us. Let me read that again. We must understand that Christ's death and resurrection didn't only save us from death due to sin, but his resurrection broke the power of that sin over us. Why do we still sin? We'll talk about that in a second. Let's look at the Great Commission, which we all know. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Rita's getting ready to leave on Tuesday to the Middle East. Can't tell us where, hello. Can't tell us where, right? But we're going to find out. She's with the CIA. Christians in action. That was awesome. Okay, she's going to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know what verse 20 says? We, we stop right there. You know what verse 20 says? And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Rita's not only going to lead them to the Lord, but she's also going to teach them what he desires from us. Right? Because we know Rita, and that's, she, she don't mess around. She's going to read all the verse. Grace, yes. Obedience, yes. The Great Commission is about holiness. God wants the world to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, and to obey Jesus. He wanted that for the Israelites. Does he want that for us? We know him. We believe in him. Do we obey? See, salvation is God saved you from sin through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. He talked about the atonement. Done. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Sanctification, God wants to set us apart to serve him and worship him in our, in our obedience to his ways. There's something we're going to talk about, progressive sanctification. Once you're saved, you're saved. 
once you're sanctified, have you grown in your Christian walk since you got saved? I hope so. You plant the tree, and if it doesn't grow, what happens? Nothing. How do we know his ways? There's a book. If you don't have one, there's one in front of you. Take it home. Surely we're not bound by the old covenant, but the new covenant that is Jesus Christ. See, Paul even talks about this in Ephesians. Be careful how you walk. God saved us for the praise of his own name. We should be holy and blameless before our God. People are watching. Are we different? Are we holy? Are we sanctified? God set the Israelites free so they might do as they wish. That's what they thought. Nope. They might be free to walk in the ways of the Lord. Are you free to do what you want? Yes. What does God want? The desires of your heart to walk in the ways of the Lord. See, if you think I'm preaching a works theology, I'm not. It's not what I'm talking about. The best Bible teachers always emphasize grace of the gospel, but also the need for personal holiness. Faith and good works are necessary. As Packer said, one is the root and the other is the fruit. You know, we should not judge lest ye be judged, but we are called to check the fruit on someone's tree, right? James tells us faith without works is dead. It's of no use. It's zero. Isaiah says, your works are like a filthy rag. But you know what he was talking about there? And we use that. We say, your, your works of righteousness are like filthy rags. What he's really talking about is the Israelites bringing false um, sacrifices to him. Hey, Lord, look at us. Hey, we all showed up at church. Hey, Lord, look at us. We're over here um, singing your name. No, guys, I know the intent of your heart. What you give me here is fake, fake news, fake gospel. What he wants is the desire and the intent of your heart. Paul tells us in Ephesians, we're saved by grace through faith, but we were also created in Christ to do good works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Holiness means separation. We can't make sense of the Old or the New Testament without understanding that God is holy and his desire and intentions are to make a holy people to live with him forever in a holy heaven. Well, God pretty much lets anybody in because, no, why would, why would he let you in? Moses couldn't even look at him on Mount Sinai. Couldn't even be in his presence. We just found out he couldn't even be in the tent of meeting because he wasn't holy. But the Hebrews did what they were supposed to do and Moses was allowed in. Not Nadab and Abihu. In in Leviticus, we find a couple of things. Holy people, which are the priests, holy clothes, holy land, holy place. Holy utensils, holy objects, holy days, holy laws, and finally, a holy nation. What I will share with you is what holiness is not. Holiness is not rule-keeping. It's not generational imitation, which is called tradition. Holiness is not generic spirituality. Well, he doesn't really know the Lord, but he's spiritual. Ever heard of that? It's very spiritual. I don't know what that means. Holiness is not finding yourself. Holiness is not the way of this world. 
Holiness does mean being like God. It is critical for us Christians to know, Jeff said it earlier, the character of God. You want to know the character of God? Easy place to go is in almost every wedding, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, kind, all those things. And oftentimes it's said, take Jesus' name and replace, it with, replace love with Jesus' name, and guess what? That's the character of God. That's what he wants us to do. We see in Christ the best example of holiness. Gentle, bold, pure, full of mercy and truth, obedient, forgiving. He never lusted, lied, or coveted. Well, he was Jesus. Can we do all those things? I think we can if we desire to do those. But we miss, must be careful not to equate obedience with perfection. This is where we get in trouble. Obedience with perfection. God doesn't demand perfection. If he did, what would have happened to David, King David? I mean, he would have been smote before he got out of the, got out of the Goliath story. He does demand obedience. His grace, our imperfect obedience, by his grace, our imperfect obedience is acceptable to him. See, as a parent, do you man demand perfection from your kids? Of course not. I hope. Of course not. Mistakes are how they experience life and learn to see mercy and grace in action from you. We must demand obedience or the world will teach them consequences, right? I was talking to a guy yesterday at a, at a wedding I was at, and he was telling me the people he was interviewing for a job. And they came in and they told him, well, I show up late and I leave early and I need two hours for lunch. When do I start? And the guy's like, well, and he goes, well, you know, I don't need this money. My parents take care of pretty much everything, so I just want some experience. Wow. How many of you guys do that for your kids? Peter, don't raise your hand. I know you were doing that. One of the hardest working guys I know, and, and we teach our kids the way of the world, that it's difficult unless you follow the Lord. Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves. Boy, we hate that. He doesn't punish them. He disciplines those he loves. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share his holiness. So how do we start on the holiness trail? First of all, we can't do it by ourselves. We have an advocate called the Holy Spirit. Our counselor, our comforter, our guide. The Holy, Ex the Holy Spirit exposes our sin to us so we can recognize it and turn away called repentance. He helps us understand God's word in meeting an implication. He takes away the veil so we can see the glory of Christ. Any of you ever read the Bible before you're a Christian and you're like, oh, okay, this is an interesting book and then you became a Christian and all of a sudden it's like it's in color? It comes alive? But you know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit helps us believe the truth from God instead of the lies from Satan. Satan's the father of lies, and his weapon is deception. He lies to you about God. He lies to you about your sin. He lies about forgiveness. He lies about the Bible. Oh, it doesn't say that. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say that? It's called doubt. The Holy Spirit helps us put on the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. When we are in Jesus, this is really important you get this, we are in union with Christ. Being in union with Christ is the central truth of the salvation doctrine. We are in Christ. 
Paul and John talked about being in Christ, in the Lord, preserved in Christ, sanctified in Christ, we walk in Christ, we labor in Christ, we die in Christ, we obey in Christ, and we conquer in Christ. We do not become gods, understand that, but we strive to be like Jesus. As we grow in Christ, we become more obedient, are you? More obedient? Walking towards being holy. If we are not growing in Christ, we must take notice of our walk. Which way are we going? Are we going in the wrong direction? Of course, we are saved once and for all. Once saved, we are sanctified, set apart. This is where it gets interesting. Progressive sanctification becomes our goal. Striving to understand God in three persons in perfect harmony. In Christ, we are new creations that we might live for him and not for ourselves. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to righteousness, to walk in this newness of life. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And I live, the life I live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So to summarize so far, holiness is being like Christ, and it is possible only for those in Christ. Now we should grow in our fellowship with him. Our union with Christ should lead to our ever-increasing communion with Christ. Union with Christ is irrevocable. Nothing can separate us from Christ once united. But our communion can be affected by sin and the lack of attention to God's grace. Anything else is cheap grace. See, not too long ago, um, well, many years ago, I guess, say not too long ago, over 20 years ago, my parents and I had a rift over a, a situation with my brother. And we decided to take a five-year break in our relationship. We just said, you know what? Uh, you believe this way. You think he's here. We know we're over here. So if you're going to talk about that, we're just, that's it. It's pretty stupid, but okay, that's it. No gatherings, no communications, no cards or letters. And that entire time, they did not cease being my parents, did they? Our union was still intact. But our communion was broken. You understand? Okay? Still my parents, but our communion was broken. That union could not be broken, but our communion was affected by lack of attention. We then decided to put the rift aside, and we ba began communion again with each other. Forgiveness, communication, spending time together, being intentional about our love for each other. We are now closer than ever before. It works that way with God too. He wants you to spend time with him. Not out of obligation. My parents were like, well, okay, it's Christmas and Easter. Let's go to the folks. I know some of you got that same deal, right? Now you got kids and they're probably saying the same thing about you. Let's go to the folks. But you know what? I can't wait to see my dad and have breakfast with him. We have breakfast once every two weeks or so, sometimes more. It's awesome because we got stuff to say to each other. We're interested in each other's lives. That's why I want to be with God. Communion with Christ is our way of strengthening our relationship. It grows deeper, and we enjoy a sweet fellowship with Jesus. We grow in knowledge. We understand his character, and we grow more affectionate for him that also includes the desire to obey his laws. Understand? I mean, does it make sense? 
In closing, I want to share four ways that might help you in your communion with Christ in the pursuit of holiness. The first is prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing, doesn't it? Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew. God wants us to pray to him, to communicate with him like a friendly conversation with a friend. Pour out your soul and then listen. Number two, we pursue communion with Christ through the word of God. God gave us a love letter. And for you folks that, that aren't reading along with the, the Bible plan, it's, it's life-changing. I mean, I've read the, the scripture before. I've read through it as a, as a bucket list. But I am getting so much more out of it right now, especially with these videos. Are these great or what? Read the word. God prayed to John. God prayed to God in John 17, Lord, sanctify them, us, by the truth. Your word is the truth. You're not going to find the word anywhere else. Yesterday at Man Alive, we, we tried to figure out why some guy shot 58 people, killed 58 people and shot 560 or whatever it was. And, and, and they might not figure it out. And you know what we came down to? Evil is evil. Oh no, one of the greatest producers in Hollywood, 841 nominations, is a pig. Who's surprised? I mean, he's evil. Satan has control over them. So we're not like, well, why could they, why would they do that? Because they're evil. Satan has a hold of them. Pursue communion with Christ through fellowship with other Christians. Another thing we talked about yesterday with this Vegas shooter, how come no one knew what he was going to do? No one was in his life. So if you're a man or a woman today and you have no one in your life, seek out, pray for those people in your life. Don't do this alone. That was really the saddest thing, that it probably started years past. No one in his life. That's when we start to drift. Pursue communion with Christ through fellowship with others. This is the body of Christ. Not this building, but being in Christ right here in fellowship with him. The church is the body of Christ, the universal church. Foothills Church is part of that body of Christ. We cannot have communion with him if we're lone rangers. Ah, I'll just stay home and read my Bible. It's not going to work. I can't wait to get here and to see all you people. I don't know if it's mutual. It doesn't matter. I can't wait here to see you people. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, be encouraging to one another. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. If you can't find one, start one. Our life group has been life-changing for Lori and I. I mean, it's just life-changing. Those are people we can go to when we're struggling. We pursue communion finally with Christ through the symbol of the Lord's Supper, which we did last week. When we come to the Lord's table in faith, we have communion with him. It's called koinonia in Greek, communion with Christ we fellowship him with him by the symbolic participation 
in taking of his body and his blood, communion with the living God. That's not his true body and blood because it always cracks me up. I was in Baton Rouge last week and, and oh, hey, there's a church, there's a church. And I, I had a Catholic buddy with me. I'm like, how come your Jesus is still hanging there? They don't know what to say. How come your Jesus is still hanging there? He goes, oh, to show the suffering. I said, well, my Jesus rose. And he's like, cute, cute, got me, you know, because they don't have an answer. But you know what? We've started the dialogue now. Let's t- he goes, I never thought about that. That guy's 45 years old. I never thought about that. Tradition is his God. When it comes to sanctification, think about progressive sanctification. It's more important where we're headed than where we are right now. Your current position is not as important as your future direction. Okay? Today's the day. Become holy because our God was holy. He demands it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are we are so in need of you. We desire to glorify you in everything we do, in our worship, in our attendance, in our prayer life, in our communion, in our fellowship with you and other believers, Lord. We so need you in our life to guide us and give us discipline, Lord. We, we encourage your discipline, Lord, because we know if you don't discipline us, you don't think about us, you don't love us, but you discipline those you love. So, Lord, we ask your holy blessing on this place and all the people here and all the people that call Foothills home and all the churches in the area, Lord, and for our country and our leadership. We love you, Lord, and we lift ourselves up to you in obedience. In your name we pray. Amen.